Hello and welcome to this episode of the Venus Investor Evolutionary Astrology Podcast. Now, we're starting June and this is the first to roughly the 9th of June episode. And boy, um, I've said before, June is busting out all over. Um, Just the 1st of June, we've had Jupiter, planet of expansion, of learning, of really going for something to experience it something new and bigger than yourself, bigger than you had thought you could do, Um, conjunct with the North Node, the destiny point, which is in Taurus, which is representing the Earth. So really, we're pushing Earth and humanity and all of Earth's riches right through that doorway into something we have not yet comprehended. So this is really the first week in June is a massive opportunity to, to start something new which is what I'm going to be doing. But, you know, we're opening the doors. But, you know, there's also the caveat here that that I have mentioned before that, you know, with with Jupiter on the first day of June coming to conjunct the North Node. And of course, the North Node, it's a destiny point, but it's like your mission should you choose to accept it. And when, when Jupiter is there, you cannot not accept it. It's like blown the doors off. And here we are. But also there's things here that, Jupiter will expand and push through those doors that we don't like as well. You know, it's like the fast forward of carving the world up into 15 minute cities. The earth gets a little, everyone gets a little chunk and isn't allowed to go out of that. Or it's, um, or it's the forcing through of digital currencies so that we lose our cash. Um, or it's more farming atrocities to, to seemingly save the world. Or, you know, forcing us all into electric cars when they are far, far worse than the petrol version. And then also weather manipulation. You know, it's it was once a conspiracy theory, but now it's kind of, we can see that they have been doing weather manipulation and it's very obvious. So these kind of things will be top of mind, are, are top of mind and um, bringing us June for um, whilst those opportunities are happening, those potentials are playing out. We have our own personal ones and and great because the weekend, the weekend on the 4th of June, we have this amazing Sagittarius full moon. And of course, Sagittarius is super enthusiastic about anything. Yeah, let's do it. Sagittarius, if each sign had its um, kind of logo i think sagittarius would have the nike just do it kind of thing um not going to go through all the star signs with that but just occurred to me that it's such an enthusiastic get on with it um and i guess aries too but um they both have a bit of a starter kick going on but with with sagittarius there's going to be a higher truth and a yearning for a a higher experience or something more exalted going on no matter what just just really going for the feels and um blind to some of the details and yeah the higher wisdom in all things um where there's a simplicity in that too so we've got this the weekend it's the fourth uh, this full moon in sagittarius it's really kind of just behind Jupiter with the North Node. So really, this is these are explosions going on that we can really kind of move through the Detroitus and and find a, a way forward that's potentially really exciting. It's a bit of a roller coaster though because it's some of this is going to be totally unexpected and a bit much, a bit extra. 
But of course, on as well as firstly, the 1st of June, Jupiter expansion, meeting North Node Destiny, then this highly active, um, fun as well, an enthusiastic full moon. On the same day, we have Mercury, planet of communication, meeting up with Uranus. Uranus, crazy ass, planet of curveballs and surprises. I mean, utterly combustible combination of aspects coming along here. Now, Mercury, as you may or may not know, Mercury is the lower octave of Uranus being the higher octave, as many planets are paired and twinned to be the lower and higher octave. And lower not necessarily meaning worse than or less than, but with lower octave Mercury, it's the communication that we have amongst ourselves, that our actual brain thinking and the way we speak to each other and those you know, are ideas. Whereas Uranus is much more of a group energy and it's a much more of the way our consciousness is going as a group. And it's also the way that we might get lightning bolts of inspiration that we all feel the way that humanity is going, it's its where is our consciousness going? Where is our intelligence going? What are we learning as a group? And, and also thereby what comes to us from the cosmos? What is that cosmic thinking, the higher consciousness, you know, as we are all connected, as we are all one, uh, we can't divide ourselves up. These thoughts come to us and humanity is evolving and by nature of Uranus, because Uranus is the enlightenment planet. He does send us these lightning bolts of shock and surprise and curveballs to wake us up and get us moving, even though we might find them slightly unnerving and, you know, causing us a great deal of instability. So the two of them together, it's like it's like a combustible uh, message coming towards us. This is this is really a really great day to launch a rocket, you know, if Elon Musk is listening, because last time he launched the rocket, it was a bit too combustible. I remember on the 29th day of or the 29 degree eclipse of Aries. But this this day is like this is the Earth calling. This is us waking up to Earth's message. And so there could be something quite volcanic, explosive, um, really happening amongst us for of us, all of us to take notice, you know, is it a rocket exploding or is it something otherworldly um, happening? Is it Mother Nature really calling out to us in some way? Um, so I think the weekend is going to be fairly, um, you know, we're going to notice this weekend. It is going to it's going to show up in our diaries and in our in our minds um, as something quite unique. And, and obviously, I have to record this before the weekend, but I will be here um, waiting to see what happens because the day after, on the 5th, Venus is, lovely planet Venus, is going to be moving into Leo, uh, Venus ingress Leo. And of course, Venus moving into Leo um, is a signal or a kind of marker point for her upcoming retrograde, which is in Leo. So really, we need to take notice of Venus in Leo as um, this is something that's going to play out all the way to October because that's when she moves out of the shadow zone. So Venus in Leo is a long journey um, doing the whole retrograde and being in the shadow. So the day after these combustible kind of 
door opening crazy days, we suddenly have Venus coming into Leo and it's suddenly it's it's like <clears throat> the fanfare. Venus has arrived here um, through all of this kind of like there's bombs going off. There's there's um, um, volcanoes. There's um, there's explosions. And then through here comes Venus goddess of beauty arriving in the kingdom so this is like um um you know like another coronation it's dun, 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 get 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 the trumpets out because venus arrives here but of course she's not just arriving in leo for her leo retrograde once she arrives at zero degree leo she's going to oppose pluto in zero degree Aquarius. Now, of course, we've had Mars just do this, and Mars would be the lower octave of Pluto, both sort of malefics, both kind of quite dangerous and slightly destructive and willful. Um, but with so there's a different flavor with Venus and Pluto because it's a she's the love and she's the beauty, and with Pluto, it can become quite obsessive. It's like um, when they these two planets to come together, there is um, um, a, a deep karmic link between the, the between two people or that you may feel that this is kind of destiny. This is something really pulling me inside that I need to pay attention to within my heart. And it's like the, you know, seeing someone and immediately being in love with them, the coupe de food, the, the falling in love at first sight, the, or, or falling in lust at first sight, falling in love at the fanfare that happens, you know, the, the birds tweeting, the trumpets again are going to be going off as Venus opposes Pluto. It's like something coming into your consciousness that really kind of goes, wow. You know, so this we all can be really prepared for that. And obviously, if, you, if you're single, that's great. But if you're not, it's kind of like it's still going to be a wow, I've really thought this is going to be something special. It's creative um, and maybe it's a little subversive. Maybe it's not. It makes you feel uncomfortable. It's kind of that that astonishing that she does that. So when Venus is now opposing Pluto, the Dark Lord himself, you know, the Dark Lord who took Demetra down into the underworld. You know, it's dangerous stuff. It really is dangerous. And and of course, they are also making a T-square then to Jupiter and the North Node, who just are still in their conjunction at three degrees. So they've just moved away from the nought degree. So they're in their three degrees. But so this is a new T-square. But initially, the T-square was with Mars and now it's with Venus. So slightly softer, but then slightly more um, um, accessible in a way and um, less shocking, but probably more of a feeling about things that you might feel um, really good about something and right, right, I'm ready to do this. I'm, I'm prepared and ready. I've seen the light now and I can go ahead. So um, especially with just coming after the aspects that I mentioned, which are the Jupiter North Node conjunction, which are still involved and the Mercury conjunct Uranus um, and then also the Sagittarius full moon. So the Sagittarius full moon is at 13 degrees and um, the um, Mercury and Uranus are at 20 degrees, the 20 degrees Taurus. 
Now, Venus moving into Leo is um, is important for me because I have a Sun Leo, a Mercury Leo and a Venus Leo. Um, and also when Venus gets to her retrograde point, she's going to move all the way through Leo to 28 degrees Leo, which, of course, is the point of the great American eclipse of 2008 which, as I remember, is also Donald Trump's ascendant and also where he has Mars. You would think he had Mars on the ascendant, wouldn't you? But anyway, that's 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 the point where Venus is now going to retrograde from. So she's actually retrograding from 28 degrees Leo, which is where my son is. So I've got a vested interest in really what happens with this retrograde. Um but also the asteroids are involved in this Venus retrograde. And as you may know, I'm a big fan of the asteroids and the stories that they tell. Um, I'm in the middle of, um, I'd say a quarter way into writing a book about the asteroids because many of them are female stories. And I think it's like they've been obliterated um, in this asteroid belt to be all these tiny little domestic stories rather than the grand stories of the planets. And so within this Venus retrograde, there is Juno. Juno is heavily involved and Juno is the marriage broker. So although Venus represents love, beauty and money, I feel like in Leo, when there's Juno, the marriage broker involved, we're really going to be focusing much more on relationships and love because Leo rules the heart. So I think this is a kind of a really powerful, romantic even um, retrograde to go on. And I don't want anyone to fear it because, you know, retrogrades, sometimes they dig deeper into your heart, into the area that they're the, the, of the sign or the house they're in and really bring about some surprises, some good and some goodness. And perhaps we all need to connect with our hearts much more. And so one of these asteroids is Juno. And so I'll be explaining a lot more about her involvement here and who she is and why she should be in your chart. And the other asteroid is Lilith, is Black Moon Lilith. And um, she she was actually discovered in Leo at eight degrees Leo. And that is where my Venus is. So I've also got another vested interest here. But Lilith in in Leo is going to be present the whole way through. She's actually there now. And she's going to be in Leo for the whole of this Venus retrograde right through even during the shadow part, which ends on the 7th of October. So um, Leo goes, sorry, Venus goes into Leo on the 5th of June and she actually leaves actually the shadow point in on the 7th of October. So we've got a long time now of all this Venusian Leo energies that are combined with both Juno and Lilith. Now also to a lesser degree Pallas Athena is there. Pallas Athena is there now. Pallas Athena is um, Athena when she took up the palace part which was her dear friend in honour of her friend is the intelligence and the power of the deep wisdom of Athena the goddess Athena. And she's there. She's not going to be there the whole time. So I might spend a little time explaining a bit about her. But uh, really, Juno and Lilith are our girls for this Venus retrograde. So because 
I am Venus and Vesta. I called it Venus for the planet and Vesta for an asteroid because I would be covering both in my endeavours. But so I'm going to be launching a Venus and Vesta immersion for the Venus retrograde. And it's like a Venus Shala. And a Shala is a spiritually minded school or dedicated um, effort or, or, um, or group of learning to get some deeper understanding. So I'm going to be taking a Venus Shala all the way through the Venus retrograde. Um, and I would love for you to join me in that. So it'll be almost fortnightly Zoom sessions where I will talk about either the um, astrology of that moment. So there'll be the Venus going into the uh, into the shadow, Venus retrograding, the Venus Kazemi, where she being emboldened to the size of the sun and Venus's uh, connections to both Lilith and to Juno. And then, of course, leaving and going direct. So they last it last right and through to the 7th of October. And I'm going to give you some dates so that even if you're not there at the lives, you can listen to it and tune in. And I think the purpose of this is also one is a reconnection with our heart the sovereignty in our heart, but also a reconnection for women to connect to the goddess Venus and to connect to our own femininity within. And I'd like some men to join too, but really, um, I very rarely get any men coming along. But guys, you're welcome. Anyway, so it's going to be starting on the 19th of June. All the sessions are going to be at seven o'clock British summer time. So that for L.A., that's going to be 11 o'clock in the morning. They're either going to be on the Sunday or the Monday morning, Monday evening. Sorry, it's so a Sunday on Monday at seven o'clock British summer time. Um, and in if you're in Eastern time, it's going to be at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, please join me. There's dates are the 19th of June, the 3rd of July, the 23rd. Well, so the 20, the 3rd of July, uh, we'll be talking about the asteroids in that in that session. But the 23rd of July is actually Venus retrograde. The 13th of August is right near the Venus, uh, the Leo full moon. And it's when Venus goes Kazemi. Um, the 4th of September is when Venus goes direct. The 18th of of September, we're going to talk about the darker side of Venus and her relationship with Inanna and her sister, her dark sister, all the dark sisters everywhere. <laughs> and then the 7th of October when Venus leaves the shadow. So those are going to be proper Zoom calls where I talk about the astrology. We'll look at some of our charts and we will do a guided meditation. And in between those, because they're some of them are two weeks apart, some of those are three weeks apart, we will do in some meditation sessions, just straightforward Venus meditations. So um, please do join me. I will be putting some details up in the email or on Instagram and in the notes section of this podcast. So before we get going on, on the whole Venus retrograde, I did want to think a little bit more about Lilith because she is going to be featured in my book. And you could almost write a whole book about Lilith because she's so enigmatic and people have written so many books about her. And I've read so many different ones that I wanted to bring all the knowledge together in, in, a, in a section in the book. But when we talk about Lilith and where we have Lilith in our charts, we're always talking almost 99% of the time, we're talking about Black Moon Lilith. And we're talking about Black Moon Lilith because she's like the shadow of the moon. 
and it's defined as the moon travels round the earth in an elliptic so it's in an oval shape so the apogee is when the moon is furthest away from earth and that point even though the moon isn't there all the time the oval shape is there and that point furthest away is where Lilith is that's that's black moon Lilith so she's not even a moon she's not even a, a planetary object it's just a space in time, a space and a moment in time, which I think is like a phenomenal um, um, kind of a, like that's just a phenomenal um, idea that we have about Lilith. Because it's like she's not there. And it's like, is she really there? Was she really Adam's first wife? Did Adam have a first wife? Is that really true? And, and you know, is she is she real? And these questions we ask because she's not even a planet in this sense. She's not even a moon. She's a black moon. And that means a shadow of a moon that is in, in uh, just a point in space and a moment in time. And she's not even mentioned in the Bible. And, and also to add it to that, in our charts, we are talking or what's signified on most charts is black moon Lilith as a mean, as an average or a mean of where she would be. And Really, there is also the true. So it's a bit like the North Node. The North Node has a mean and a true. And you can define those quite easy, quite easy to find the difference. And they're normally up to, say, four degrees apart. But with Black Moon Lilith true and Black Moon Lilith mean, it can be a whole sign apart. It's really kind of quite a wide space for her to inhabit. And it's almost I think it'd be better to, if we just had a strip, not a point, but a strip of... Um, of the part of our chart where she inhibits the shadow aspect of our charts because mine actually moves right through from Aquarius into Pisces so um it is nearly it is nearly a whole a whole sign so for we will be looking at that within my um Venus circle we will be looking at the the Lilith part of ourselves uh, whether the mean or the true but let, let's just take the mean as as it's easier and it's the one that most people talk about um and of course this is figuratively speaking anyway um but there are other aspects to Lilith in our planetary objects because there is also a thing called the Waldemarth Lilith and um, this is completely unsubstantiated. But for me, I love a mystery. And so I'm going to go with this. This is a mysterious dark moon. And it's only ever been seen, seen in inverted commas, crossing in front of the sun's face like a shadow. So it's not again, it's kind of this shadowy aspect. And it's about a quarter the size of the moon anyway, so tiny. And it's also three times further away than the moon is. And so also it, it's this shadow is absorbing light rather than reflecting it. And, um, and, you know, it's moving quite fast. It's spending 10 days in each sign. And you kind of think, wow, you know, how can you not, how can something so kind of spoken of, so so mythical, so, um, you know, that I've got so much detail about it, yet it's still unsubstantiated. So it was observed as long ago as 1618. I mean, what sort of telescopes, what sort of visionary tools did they have in those days to be able to observe this shadow moving across the moon? I think that's absolutely fantastic that they would be identifying some mysterious aspects in the skies at that point. 
um, you know, of course, that's before Pluto, that's before Chiron, that's before so that's before Uranus, Neptune um, were all seen. So they could see this. They must have been, you know, must have been studying these aspects so intently. And it makes me laugh, really, because there was so much work going on to study the skies, especially in the in the Middle Ages. And, you know, there's been someone saying recently on TikTok or wherever saying that, that you know, astrology has been stolen by the West. And you kind of think, no, astrology has been evolving in many different schools separately together in different many parts of the world um and you know from the druids as well who were the timekeepers and the observers of the 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 difference between the dark and the night and the black and the white um so they were the timekeepers so really you know astrology does belong to this planet and not to one group but the fact that you know in 1618 it was observed this shadow aspect on the moon but really the proper sighting and the identification was in 1898 so just over 100 years ago dr george waldemuth he um he he identified this dark moon and um but it was only until 1918 that an astrologer called sephiriel she actually called it lilith and i think that's such an appropriate name um for this shadowy aspect because it is she is so shadowy but you know but why don't we hear more about it and why why can't why is it all mystery you know this is like an eclipse energy this is like this is an eclipse in itself and this is also the dark side of the moon this is this mysterious kind of um pink pink floyd energy <laughs> you can see the cover of that album as i'm mentioning it and and so i like to think that the 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 moon uh the dark moon lilith which is the the um waldemarth lilith she's kind of existing on an astral level and she's yet to really properly manifest into our consciousness but she is actually there um and it's like this obscure enigma and, you know, men don't really want to admit. I say men, mankind, the patriarchy, definitely, who were running this for quite a while, um, don't want to admit that she's there, but she is. And then, and it's the dark feminine that they don't want to admit. The females don't want to admit that is there, um, but that, but there she is. And I wanted to do a little bit of digging as to, you know, what, what does the Bible say about Lilith? You know, she's obviously very biblical. And, and if, if you don't know the, the story, it's, it's an ancient Babylonian, Mesopotamian Hebrew story that before Eve, Adam was in the garden with an angel and they were getting on really well and they were equal. Um, and she was accompanying him. They had... Um, they were having a good time and she was a, a female, female form. And God wanted um, Lilith, her name, to submit to to Adam and be subservient to him, supplicant to him. And she absolutely refused. And, you know, in the idea that she was, you know, going on top where you know, Eve was missionary position only kind of thing. But she was like, no, no I'm not going to submit to him. And also Adam is made of the earth. And so Lilith is made of the earth. She is whole in her own right. She doesn't need to submit to anyone. Um, 
So she's equal and she's independent as well. And she's earthy. She has this earthy sensuality and is an unbridled and unhindered. But, you know, Yahweh, as, as we call him then at that stage of the Bible, wants her to be, uh, you know, to, to be supplicant. And, and, and what, but why should she when you've, when you've got that already? And she refuses under threat of having a hundred of her own babies dying each day, you know, to have this demonic life. And, and of course, she takes it. She says, I, I'm not going to sub be subservient to anyone. I am whole in my own right. And so she takes the curse, really. She takes the curse, showing us that she's utterly principled. She's extremely brave and courageous. And she leaves. She goes, I, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not happening. And they're saying, well, she was banished. God banished her from the Garden of Eden. But, you know, we, that was that was kind of everyone was banished in the end. But so but, you know, then the folklore co kind of goes into um, patriarchal hyperdrive with her, you know, being this demoness. But in other ways, I like the way that she's supposed to whisper in Eve's ear, you know, what are you doing ironing his boxer shorts or his shirts? You know, come on, get out there. So she has this, <laughs> this kind of little irritation. The men are going, would you just stop telling my wife, take, stop taking my wife out for, for drinks and getting her drunk? Or, um, or in the other sense, in the male sense, it's like, well, I could have this woman who's, uh, you know, is, is sexy and unbridled and holding her own. Or I have a nice, nice wife who is supplicant, who will iron my shirts, you know, and that, that you know, Madonna whore complex that men do have, you, you know, sorry, but I have to name it. But no shame, no shame. We've all got her cross to bear. Um so, yeah, so Lilith gets banished and she's in the shadow now. And, you know, perhaps then she's, you know, maybe, maybe this world, maybe it's because this world isn't ready for that. Maybe we have to learn in this world that the, you know, by taking away the equality, that we have to have the equality taken away, sorry, to learn about equality between the sexes and to learn about the female, we have to have that idea that she's taken away and um, not able to be whole in her own right. So, um, you know, perhaps then Lilith is the unacceptable of the dark feminine. But and this is from the Egyptian goddess ruling that, you know, the dark feminine is always in service to the light. Whereas the dark masculine isn't. And that's the point I want to make. So no matter how bad Lilith gets eating 100 babies a day or whatever she does, that that um, she is in service to the light. She is absolutely righteous. She's not going to hide behind anything. This is who she is. And she's just uncompromising and telling it as it is. And it reminds me of that that part in the um, Mandy Rice Davis affair when 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 the judge says to Mandy Rice Davis, you know, the well, Lord Astor uh, denies your affair. And, and she says, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? <laughs> total Lilith energy. And in fact, I might go and look up Mandy Rice Davis' uh, birth chart to see where her Lilith is. Actually, I just had a quick peek. And uh, you know, I'm talking about her. She's actually got Pluto at four degrees Leo. And opposite that, opposite her Pluto, she has Venus at 
um, 10 degrees Aquarius. So she has the exact or it, but the other way around opposition that I was talking about with Venus opposite Pluto, like the wow, you know, she had such a compelling uh, attraction and um, was obviously able to make money out of that. But um, she's also got her moon, her Saturn, her Mars and her Uranus all bunched up together in late Taurus on Algol, which is going to bring me later on because I'm going to talk about the other idea of um, Lilith as and and I've kind of slightly dismissed this because it belongs to Medusa. But they're saying that the other Lilith is the Medusa head Algol, the darkest, the most evilest star in the in the heavens. But, you know, it does bring retribution. And um, so there she's she's kind of got a, she's very relevant, I feel, to this whole uh, what I'm talking about. She's very Lilith, but um, just I'm going to have to do a bit more digging to see if she actually does have Lilith there, because um, the chart I was looking at at a quick Google doesn't have her Lilith on it. So I'm going to have a look for the next episode or when we get back to her. But yes, Mandy Rice Davies has a lot of the energy that we're talking about right now. But anyway, back to Lilith. And uh, wh why isn't she even in the Bible if she has such a power? And, you know, she has... Um, you know, from ancient Babylonian, Mesopotamian, Hebrew, she's there in full force in the, the myths and the tales and their, their scriptures that were written before the Bible. Um, so I looked up and if you Google, you know, where does where's Lilith mentioned in the Bible? And she's mentioned in Isaiah 34, 14, which is all about Armageddon. <laughs> So like, oh, great, you know, but so I looked it up and um, I've got a little a Bible and um, it's um, it's actually it's only mentioned as the screech owl. The screech owl is her who is her figure and um, her animal, should we say. So there's that she, she, she's there, but she's not named. And I, I the way it's written in the Bible that I have, which is, I guess, is a King James Bible. My Bible is from the 1930s. It's very old. Um, I feel like that's not really a mention. It's just her animal there. And because it does talk about the screech oil and the satire and the um, and then making a nest. So I don't feel it really is a good enough example of an, of mentioning Lilith in the Bible. So I looked a bit further um, to what does it say in Genesis about her? So the point about the whole idea is she mentioned in the Bible and did Adam have a first wife is that in if you read Genesis right straight at the beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse 27. I mean, it's like page two, really. So here it goes. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, them. So he created them. He created male and female right at the beginning. I think that was on the sixth day. And, and even after that, he's going, um, and God blessed them. And he said unto them, be fruitful be, and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Um, he's talking to two people. As it, I'm not going to continue reading the Bible to you, but it's, it's, but he's talking to two people. So, there is two there's an there's a man and a woman right at the beginning and and then so then we go on to um chapter 2 
which is let me have a look how many more pages on oh, no, it's about page three or four chapter two verse 18 god then goes <laughs> god said it is not good oh, i love it not good god said it is not good that the man should be alone i will make him and help meet for him and so he kind of goes well i've got to make a woman for him i've got to meet a, a, a help for him he says i'm quoting literally i'll make and make him and help I, I presume that's where they've gone and help where we don't have an and before an h an h we just go a help so i will make him a help meet for him um meet as in meet companionship not not um meat of an animal sort of thing so yeah so so he goes from having created man and woman and then later on so it's kind of slightly ambiguous and you know, have they left you know king constantine you know put all the books of the bible together chose which stories would go in so you know there's been a mankind footprint on this bible anyway so is there a section here that we're missing out where there is lilith and she's been taken out i wonder because there is, there he is God creating man and woman and talking to them and telling them they have dominion over the the earth, the sea, the animals, the fish. And then later on, he's going, oh, but, but man is a bit lonely and needs someone. So what he does, as famously, you kind of know that he puts Adam into a deep sleep and then he creates E, takes Adam's rib out and, and closes him up so you, there is no mark. And out of Adam's rib, he creates Eve. So she is of man. She is partnered to him. She is subservient to him. She is his helper. And, um, you know, they are supposed to be loving towards each other. But she is supposed to be underneath, you know, the, mis the missionary position. Um which has its benefits, obviously. Um, um, so, yeah, so, there, so there, there is a woman before Eve in the Bible. And I've now read the rest of this anyway. So definitely there's an Eve, there's a woman there. And then there is a lonely Adam. And then there's a woman again. But the first, first Lilith is made as of the soil of the earth, just like Adam is. But then she's 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 kind of banished. And I feel like in this modern age that that banishment is a denial of it's definite denial. There's a massive denial here of that shadowy aspect, the powerful woman. You know, it's like, oh, we could have had a powerful woman. but We set it up so that maybe that that we have to earn that power or we have to regain it in some way. I don't know. Um. I think it's really interesting. I'm going to be coming back with more information on this. But anyway, to recap, we have in common parlance, we talk about Lilith in the astral astrology chart. We're talking about black moon Lilith and we're talking about the mean, not the true. And that's the apogee, the point furthest away that the moon ever reaches on its circle, which is obviously this this oval moves around it and it takes eight years to move around eight years, 10 months to move that all the way round, which is very similar to the north node taking, you know, um, nine months each time. So 18 years, I'm oh, sorry, not, not nine months, nine years or 18 years 
in the opposition is so so um it's the halfway round so the oval point so that yeah nine months is very sorry start again so that eight years nine months is very similar to the nine years of the north node coming round again so that's the one that is the black moon lilith is in common parlance and again we're going to look at that in my venus Shala. then there's the waldemarth which is actually a dark shadow an unsubstantiated shadow in space i love it circling earth um which first got spotted in 1618 i mean god and they still haven't substantiated that just says everything about the dark shadow the dark feminine doesn't it the patriarchy can't even substantiate that anyway of all the space objects going on um that is yes to manifest so now then then we have also we've got asteroid lilith asteroid lilith and you can find asteroid lilith she's got a really lovely glyph it's like a um a pitchfork with the handle at the end or an extended four with more crosses going down but anyway asteroid lilith um if you want to look her up in astro.com she's number 118 what sorry 1181 um and she was discovered in 1927 so again, not, you know, all very recently. And she was discovered at eight degrees Leo. So where Lilith is is going to be in this journey is uh, the asteroid discovery date. It's also eight degrees is where my Venus is. So I'm I'm kind of spinning out on all the um all the um synchronicities here. But anyway, she is in the asteroid belt. And as you may know, the asteroid belt is um, the small asteroids that are going in a circle. They're going round all together like in a cloud. And they are between Mars and Jupiter. And of course, the planets before up to Mars, which are Jupiter, Venus, Earth and um Jupiter, Venus, Earth and Mars, they are what we call the personal planets, the inner planets. And then we have a gap and then there's the asteroid belt and then we have Jupiter and the Jupiter onwards are the generational planets because they're so much bigger. They're like the gas giants and um, yeah, the, out, the outer planets here. So there's a gap between the two. And also, as you move away from the sun, each planet um, is double the distance of the of the one before it. So, you know, you go from Mercury and then to Venus, then to Earth. And it's double the distance then to get to Venus and then double the distance then to get to to Mars. And it would be double the distance then to get to Jupiter. But there's not. There's a gap there where the asteroids are. And then there should be double the distance again to get to Jupiter. So there is this there is this missing planet. And it's almost like the asteroid belt is like one planet that's been crushed <laughs> and just sprinkled around in a tiny, you know, in, in smithereens. And all those asteroids and the majority of those asteroids are female and are feminine stories. And so again, I feel like it aligns with Lilith. She's banished from the Bible. She's these insubstantiated mysterious shadows in space and now the feminine is just reduced to a pile of rubble circling circling round um and 
So Lilith is one of these asteroids. Now, the asteroids gather mostly in two groups before and after Jupiter. And Jupiter is so large. Jupiter is a planet that, you know, when asteroids or meteors come or any kind of object comes flying towards Earth, the gravitational pull of Jupiter is so big, it protects Earth. And it kind of takes the pull of Jupiter takes anything flying towards Earth, takes it off its course. You know, when you see Judgment Day and Armageddon and all those stories about things coming to Earth, they don't really account for the fact or they think that they're going to go up there, the rocket and offset this meteor coming towards Earth or whatever it is. But really, that's what Jupiter does all the time. And Jupiter gets hit all the time. We've seen, I think, was recently as the nine, 1980 where there was or in the 80s, there was a, a um, Jupiter got hit and we actually saw it. It was filmed by NASA. But anyway, Jupiter is way beyond. So between Mars and Jupiter, there is the asteroid belt. And the biggest asteroid is um, is Ceres. And Ceres, the corn goddess. And she's the biggest asteroid. She's actually been uh, elevated to a dwarf planet like Pluto. But um, if you put all the other asteroids together they wouldn't make up a size as big as, or they'd be just a bit smaller than Ceres. So they are super tiny, all these asteroid um, asteroid pieces. And so the asteroid pieces go, there's two main clouds that follow Jupiter. One follows Jupiter and one goes ahead of Jupiter. And it's like they're never going to catch each other up. And they're called the Trojans and the Romans. Is it no the Trojans and the Greeks? Sorry, and they are kind of floating around, and like they're never ever going to catch each other. No one's ever going to win that war, and um, and so yeah, they're, they're, them and the centaurs, and um, and Lilith is is amongst is is not amongst them. She's carving her own path here. She this asteroid Lilith is carving her own path. She's utterly independent, even again. And, and and also, why don't we look at the asteroid Lilith? Why why aren't we using her? Um, also, you know, she takes four point three six years to go all the way around, and um, I think she's worth looking at again. So, um, and it's it's unusual that you know there is an asteroid Lilith, and there is a dark shadow that's insubstantiated that actually was identified by Waldemarth. And there is, you know, but the dark, the black moon Lilith that we use isn't even an object. And that's the one we use. So are we so scared of this feminine power that we just cannot allow her to have that space? She Is she always floating out there, you know, that we can't, you know, inaccessible, but, you know, only the brave may approach. And and again, this is why I want to have this, uh, have her be a prominent part of the Venus Shala during the Venus retrograde so um, that she gets to have her say and she gets to be ignited within each of us so that we actually have a relationship with that. So taking that long to go around um, the chart, you know, you're really going to get a feel for her in each sign. And therefore, I think it's really worth having a look because it'll be generational, really. Uh, people, you know, groups of people in certain age groups will feel that energy and have that inspiration to connect with that uncompromising dark feminine energy. So Lilith 
Black Moon Lilith is actually in Leo now and she's going to be in Leo all the way through this Venus retrograde. And Lilith in Leo is a very creative energy. Um, it's like creativity in the midst of chaos and courageously seeking the stage or the art or the or the um, the drama or something unique to show of um to play out some sort of justice story, to create um, a, um, a spark an idea or have a consciousness evolution, a growth within that, you know, frees up the ego. It's like sparking an idea, creating the situation, the drama, the art, you know, that allows something to play out that really makes... Um, makes you sit up and take notice and change your mind about something or, you know, go for the underdog. And it's like with Lilith, you know, if your heart isn't fully present in any situation or relationship, you know, it's either empty for you because you have to be utterly there, utterly present. And if it's lacking there, it's lacking integrity or, you know, the heart is broken if it's not fully engaged. So it's a very courageous, um, even more so connected to the heart. You know, will do something even if it breaks their heart, you know, doing the right thing, you know, even if it kills them and hurts them and causes them so much pain. And even if it and especially then as a demonstration of their pride, a demonstration of honor, benevolence and leadership, because Lilith's energy is so utterly truthful and honest she tells it exactly like it is and so this is going to be really an excellent time for journaling and journaling will be part of our process in this venus shala um but it's not all just going to be lilith because as i mentioned there's juno and Pallas athena and i'll talk more about those in up and coming um episodes um because Pallas athena you know it's not so intense there but she's going to add the wisdom and the power and Juno, well, I'll talk about her next week, but she's the marriage broker. So she's going to be intensely entwined here to create power, to make relationships work. You know, Juno was was the dutiful wife, despite Zeus, her husband, having so many affairs and being completely, you know, not not the dutiful husband in return. So, you know, she becomes really from the Eve mold. So we've got Lilith and Eve and Eve, Juno present here. And perhaps they're here to equalize relationships because it's Leo and it's the heart. And, you know, maybe it's they're here so that we have an honest, an honest heart connection, no matter what within our relationships. So it's the creative impulse to realign and become more powerful with your heart energy in connection with someone else. And this isn't to say, you know, you've got to split. This is to say you've got to redefine and um, choose a better way to be that's much more uh, courageous and honest so um let's see how that goes then and please do see the details in in um uh, for the information for the star charlotte because i would love you all to join me thank you for listening and i'll see you next week